Shield Britpex! Hey, he's Charlie. I don't know if we ever gave ourselves names, but my name's Charlie. I guess I'll probably be called Derek. <laughs> Alright, Derek, we're here on another episode of For Scream and, and Country, I think it's called. Country. It's called Scream and Country. Now, is, it now, about, is, now, it about, is it about scary countries? Well, that was my question. What specific country was it about? And was that country, in fact, a scary country? Yeah, that's right. So, we've overhauled the podcast podcast equipment here and we're going to do our own podcast. Well, we figured since it was in the space that we rent them for these specific episodes that we had a right, yeah. now your duty, to use it ourselves. So, on tonight's episode, hey, 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 what the, what the fuck guys, are you doing? What, do you, guys, what are you guys doing? Guys, we're paying you. It would be one thing if you are doing it when we weren't going to record, but you're, we got to record now. Oh, your check bounced. Yeah, you don't got no money, do you? Well, I mean, oh. it's hard. We don't have a Patreon. We don't need income. We do this for fun. Like, One second, Jason. One second. Where did you try to cash it? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a store down there, I, and they wouldn't take it. Yeah, I'll put, I'll put mine. I'll put an ad in the penny saver. Yeah, we put the ad out there. They wouldn't do it at the store, so we put the ad out, and not having a lot of luck. Does the, Jason, does the penny saver still exist? I, I didn't think so. I, I only see them in the in the ditch. Oh shit! We're, we're exposed, brother. Let's get out of here. We're nicked. Let's go. <laughs> it's their yeah. house. They didn't have to run away. I mean, we'll set up our stuff we got here. Hi, Jason. Hi, Brendan. This is a podcast. It is. It's our podcast. It is our podcast. And what's it called? For screen and country, you gave me both the major words. How nice! I'm, I'm, I'm. You know, I already do a lot of work. I don't want to. Well, this is a special episode, so I guess it's worth it to mix it up, eh? Hey, is it? Yeah, because it's a Brit Picks episode. Yeah, we did. We, we did like thirty seconds of takes like is a it? minute ago. This is a. Now this is a podcast where normally we would go through the top one hundred films of the British Film Institute. That's our regular episodes. You can check that out. We've talked about lots of movies, but this is our side project called Britpex. What does that entail, Jason? Well, what that is, is it means that you and I, in our sound minds, go through the history of British film and pick a couple of movies that we specifically like that aren't on the list for, uh, for either they aren't considered as good or they're just from the last 20 years. Right. Yeah. So, so that, that boils it down. And then for our third one, we will, which will be next week, we'll be doing uh, a different, a different movie, a more recent one. Yes. Which I think we talked. about. I think you've already said we're, what we're doing. So. So hint, hint, hint. hint. <laughs> but yeah. So this week, uh, we're talking about Monty Python and the Holy Grail, nineteen seventy-five.
Jason, before we get into this movie, uh, tell us about why you picked this film. This the, the specific reason I picked this film is because this film is not on the British Film Institute list, which I felt was a disservice to the fine fellows in Monty Python's Flying Circus. Now, can I can I question something you said last week just briefly? Sure. You did say, you did mention that you thought... You were a little perturbed yeah. that there were two Bond films yes. and only one Monty Python Absolutely. film. I do not, just to play devil's advocate here, mm-hmm. um, there are like approximately, what, 25 James Bond films yes. and like three major Monty Python four. films? There's four Monty Python films. We've yeah. got the original film, which is a now something completely different, which was made mainly for American audiences and consists of filmed versions of sketches from the first two series of the TV show. But it is a feature film. I guess. You I, can watch it. I consider, I consider the three, though, the, the major. Yes. And then we've got Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Monty Python's Life of Brian, and of course, Monty Python and the Meaning of Life. So my point is, yes. um, I think it's easier when you have so many to pick from, whereas when you have like three or four, it's like, well, let's just take one. I see your point. I'm not, however, saying, I'm, not saying however, sh- I'm not saying it should or shouldn't be. I see your point, but I, I would argue that this movie is that good that it should be on this list. Hey. But that's just my opinion. And I'm not saying it should or shouldn't be, but when we do get to Life of Brian, Jason, I'm going to make you pick. Well, I mean, Life of Brian, I think, is the better movie overall. I'm not even going to pretend. But I'm going to make you this pick. This probably is my favorite. Even though Life of Brian's a better movie, this is probably my favorite because of what it means to me. Okay. What does it mean to you, Jason? Why did you pick this movie? Well, this was the first Monty Python movie I ever saw. This was the first thing of Monty Python I ever saw. And I became a big fan of Monty Python after seeing this movie. And, I mean, this this movie itself is a part of the culture of the zeitgeist. Even to this day, um, you can see different threads through pop culture. Um, the big one I remember as a kid was there's a video game on... Uh, uh, it's just a video game called Worms. You ever play Worms? No. No, you never play Worms. Well, in Worms, it's a turn-based. You got these little worms, and you fire weapons at each other. One of the weapons in that game is the Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch, although I think it's just called the Holy Hand Grenade. But it is a fun grenade because it makes a very large explosion, like hmm. you would expect from the Holy Hand Grenade. Um, and just the lines, the, the lines that people have quoted over the years, you, there's a good chance that most of you out there at some point in your life have had a really fucking annoying nerd friend that didn't stop quoting Monty Python. That may have been me. <laughs> and I, this one was a big one. This, this yeah, this, that's the first, I mean, we, I gotta get, we gotta get into the fandom a little bit too, especially the modern, uh, modern fandom. Not you, not you, Jason. Mm. I'm not talking about you. Mm. I'm talking about a certain other group of people. So, but we'll get into it. Sure. We'll get into it. This is a Brit pick. Um, usually I run down the cast. This stars Monty Python. This stars Monty Python. Uh, first and foremost, we've got Graham Chapman as King Arthur primarily, although he played, all these guys played many different roles. Many different characters. But primarily, Graham uh, Chapman plays King Arthur. Grandma Chapman. Uh, uh, Eric <laughs> Idle is Sir Robin. Brave, 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 brave Sir Robin and others and many others. Uh, Terry Jones is uh, Sir Bedivere. Uh, Terry Gilliam Belvedere. is Patsy. Isn't it Belvedere? Uh, uh, no, no. That's the guy that sat in his balls. This is Sir Bedivere. Uh, and John Cleese plays Sir Lancelot and many others. Uh, and who else? Who am I missing? Um, there is oh, also- Michael Palin. Michael Palin is Sir Galahad and many others. There is also an actress who I think appeared with Python in many yes. other stuff. Uh, Zoot is played by Carol Cleveland, who has been in many episodes of the Python series. Uh, when they needed, uh, uh, when they had a female role that they couldn't conceivably put a dress on and play themselves, mm-hmm. 
usually a hot chick, they would hire Carol Cleveland. But she is fantastic. Yeah, I was just gonna say we need to we need to talk about Carol Cleveland because she often gets unmentioned when talking yeah. about Monty Python. Yeah, she as, is as the five the the five guys essentially. Yeah, the five guys. But there is a you know there often it's debated who the so called sixth Python would be. And Neil Innes gets a good uh, a good shot at it because he did a lot of their music. You see him in in this movie as Sir Robin's minstrel who sings the song about Sir Robin. Um, uh, he has a good shot, but Carol Cleveland was on screen a lot. She's in all the movies. She was in so much of the show. She did a lot of heavy lifting for them, where roles that they just could not pull off. And mm-hmm. so, and she's really funny, and I love her. Yeah, very underrated. That, and, and like I said, goes almost unnoticed by a lot of people that she, they had a female that was in many yeah. of their sketches. And they had one extra lady in this movie that I specifically. Well, I mean, I think there's at least one other, but uh, one other that I didn't realize offhand, but now it all makes sense. Uh, the witch. Uh, during the witch scene is played by Connie Booth. Okay. Connie Booth, who uh, I believe was married to John Cleese for a period and also uh, co-created uh, Faulty Towers and wrote many of the episodes. Hmm. Uh, and she also plays the housekeeper on that show. Well, this film is directed by Terry Gilliam, who we actually talked about before when we and... talked about... Yeah, I'm not, hold okay. on. I'll get to it. We, we talked about Terry Gilliam before and we yep. talked about Brazil. Absolutely. Um, and it, the animated sequences in this film are directed by Terry Jones. No. That's incorrect. What? This movie has a dual directing credit, which is Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones. Terry Gilliam is responsible for the animations. Are you sure? Yes. Terry Gilliam did all the animations on the show, and he is uh, responsible for the animations in this movie. Okay, my bad. They co-directed equally. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, because when you said Terry Gilliam did the animation stuff, I was like, I'm pretty sure he was on set too, though. Yeah, no, he was. He yeah. was for sure. He does show up, and especially after Cleese left in Series uh, 3, uh, you saw Gilliam on screen a lot more because they just needed more bodies on screen. John Cleese left in before the show was done. Yep, that no. I did not know. So he yeah, pulled no, he, he pulled a he pulled a Dan Aykroyd in the first five years. Yeah, kind of. He I, I guess he just kind of felt they'd run their course with the TV show. He didn't think that they were kind of doing ideas that he liked, so he just moved on from the show and then obviously came back for the films because it was obviously something new and, and hmm. interesting, different format to do it. I mean, John Cleese kind of has that cantankerous. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> and I I love him for it. I don't always agree with what the man says, but I fucking adore him i mean his post this stuff on american politics is pretty funny it is <laughs> that's why i love him <laughs> but yeah so i mean that's basically who's in it who's in this movie and who's directing this movie but jason i noticed you brought in the uh vhs copy of monty python and the holy grail yes i don't know why you brought that i mean we've both already watched the movie but that being as that being as it is yeah uh, i don't know if that's the phrase be that as it may be that as it from. may thank you jason I made a Monty Python reference. You didn't even get it because you didn't watch that show, did you? I, I haven't seen too much of it. Ah, well, you're missing out. Tell me what it says on the back of the box. What does it say that this movie is about? This is about the quest for the Holy Grail. King Arthur goes on a mission with his knights to uh, find the the uh, legendary cup of Christ. And uh, hijinks ensues along the way in a manner only Monty Python can provide. Says Owen Gleiberman of Entertainment Weekly. Gene Shalit of the New York Daily Fuck Me says, "Oh my God, I love it." I think you. I think Gene Shalit would say something like, "This python bites." You're right. Absolutely, he would. That was his thing, wasn't it? <laughs> In terms of snakes, this python's got venom. Monty Python. I hardly knew her. Gene, I don't know if that's going to make the cut. That don't make no sense, Gene. 
<laughs> but yeah, so this movie's about, yeah, Qu- King Arthur's quest for the Holy Grail as only Monty Python can do it. And, and what's interesting about it is that this movie is, so Python traditionally, if you've ever seen the TV series, Python the TV series, at least in the first few seasons, was very much stream of consciousness. You would have a sketch, you would have an idea, they would play it out till what they thought was its natural conclusion, not necessarily with a punchline, in fact, very rarely with an actual punchline. And it would usually transition into a cartoon that would then be the linking uh, um, thing that would then shuttle into the next sketch, right? So it just kind of went like that. Later on, they started doing more kind of story-based episodes, but that was after Cleese left and everything. But this, so this kind of actually takes more inspiration from those later episodes where it's, it's essentially a series of sketches, but it's all themed specifically to this story and these characters. And they all play multiple characters, but it's, it's a continuing story and there's basically sketches that happen as the plot goes on. It's kind of like a movie in that way. It's like, like little scenes. I mean, I think I would argue that as you move through the movies, they get less and less like a cohesive plot and more and more like sketches. Well, that's... So, okay. So the first movie, now it's something completely different. No cohesive plot, just essentially sketches. Okay, refilled, sorry. Right? Okay, I, I understand that that was theatrically yeah. released and everything, but I I'm just talking about it. the three movies. Um, uh... Because that is just a collection. I believe is literally a Life of Brian, of I think, is a much more, is, is even more coherent plot, is more like it's doing what it's doing. It's not just a collection of ideas. And then, of course, yeah, Meaning of Life is basically a sketch. Movie. It is. Yes, for sure. Uh, it's it, like SNL. But it does it, have a theme that runs through it. It does. It's not just a loose assembly of sketches that yeah. are tied by animations. It has a theme in, in the life and death and all that in the universe. It's like Saturday Night Live did like a two-hour Thanksgiving special or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was all themed through Thanksgiving. Yeah. And, and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this movie, Jason, this movie is in 1975. So you talked about the series. So tell us, uh, you're the Monty Python expert here. <laughs> was the series uh, going on at the time? No. Was it starting? Was it has it ended? No, the series had ended by then because I believe the series ran until maybe 74. Okay. Yeah, and um, that it started airing in the states on PBS and stuff, and it started getting some traction there, right? And that's why they made an episode completely different because they wanted to get that stuff out to the audience that maybe wasn't able to see it otherwise. Wanted to get those Benjamins, exactly, exactly. And so that was the thing that uh, propelled this movie. Now, I believe this movie had a lot of trouble getting funding initially, but it was actually ultimately funded by a number of different rock stars. Yes, we, actually, we talked about George Harrison before because he does. I believe he had a, invested a lot of money in well, uh, Life of Brian. But. They had. Uh, uh, they had Pink Floyd, they had Led Zeppelin, yep. they had Genesis, mm-hmm. uh, they had Elton John, mm-hmm. they had many of these rock stars. And the reason, Jason, that they financed this movie... Absolutely, Brandon, tell them. ...is because it was a damn good tax write-off. That's right. And uh, due to UK income tax being as high as 90% of the On the, the time, bracket they were in, these rich fucking rock stars. I mean, yeah, that's fine. Yes. They're rich, they can take it. Exactly. But... That's hilarious. They're like, you know what? We're going to invest in this comedy film, not because we believe in its subversive humor, but because we see it as a good way to save some money. But I think George Harrison actually thought they were funny, at least. Well, George Harrison creatively took part as well, I think. I think he he definitely is in Life of Brian. He has a very tight... I I don't even know if he says a line. I think he's just there in a scene, but Mm -hmm. he's in there. Um, he says hello. I'm George Harrison of the yeah. Beatles. So let's let's talk about this movie, man. So uh, I guess. one fact I have to establish right out of the gate, right out of the bat, uh, to, everybody has to know when you watch this movie, and, and I like people to know this fact. Graham Chapman is so funny in this movie, but Graham Chapman was in a very bad place in his life when he was making this movie. For years, Graham Chapman had been a very functional alcoholic, like many people in those days were, and he mm-hmm. managed to keep it under control. But cheers to that. Absolutely, if I can write. But. Unfortunately for him, uh, this was a time in his life where that was starting to get out of hand. And he is 
100% completely and utterly trashed in every single scene in this movie. He was drinking so much that the story I heard was that um, somebody had gone into his room to find him and that they, they saw his like suitcase there and they pulled out a bottle. It was like this big handle of gin or something and there was like a quarter of it left and he had started drinking it at like nine o'clock that morning and it was like 1130 or something by that point. Like, Is he, he the was, only Python that had problems like that? I mean, I, I did I know of that was like a hardcore alcoholic? Absolutely. As okay. far as I know. I mean, I'm sure they all had their fun or whatever. But I mean, like, Michael, no, Palin, was, Michael Palin was a known asshole. Now... Yeah, no, terrible. The worst. Uh, no, but Grandma Chapman was also gay, uh, which may have played into that somewhat at the time because it was tough being a gay dude in, in that era. And, you know, he was also a medical doctor. He, he had his degree from Oxford or Cambridge, one of those schools where they all met, right? Uh, or at least some of them met. Um, yeah, he was a medical doctor, full on. Um, and so he probably had a lot of stress in his life about wondering if maybe he'd made the wrong choice. But he also did, was super funny. I did not know that he was uh, that he was gay. Yeah, well, there you go. And um, actually, yeah, in Monty Python Speaks, they they interview his partner, and it's, it's a wealth of information that's fascinating. Eric Idle? <laughs> Dave something. David something. Chappelle. I forget what his name was. Yeah, Dave Chappelle, obviously. Yeah, he was, Dave Navarro. Yeah, now, Graham Chapman, unfortunately, passed away in 1989, uh, which <laughs> did, which did thankfully, lead to the first time in history where I believe somebody said fuck at a, in, during a eulogy, and, of course, it was John Cleese. And I believe <laughs> they also did a, a little skit where they pretended to drop all his ashes everywhere. Yes. Oh, yeah, I know. They dumped his ashes all over the fucking stage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was great. I mean, clearly not real, but still fun. It was. It was so. It was, Graham. Then they filmed it too. Graham Chapman's eulogy is the perfect eulogy for Graham Chapman. He was fucking hilarious. But yeah. So bear in mind that every single scene in this movie, he is drunk to the gills, and mere seconds before you see any line he has said, there is somebody off screen who has said that line to him so that he could then repeat it. Mm. And watching the movie, knowing that. You can't believe it because he is so good. Like he's yeah. so present and he's there. And despite, despite the fact that he is completely out of his mind drunk, and he's in all the films. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, by the time that Monty Python and the Holy uh, Life of Brian rolls around, he is sober for that. Okay. Moment. He has got his drinking. Yeah. He doesn't drink anymore by that point. Okay. So, I mean, his performance is great in that movie too. But we'll talk about that when we get to. It. <laughs> You're like, oh, weirdly enough, mm. he's a he's shitty mm. in that one. <laughs> mm. No, he's terrible. He's fucking awful. Yeah. <laughs> So this movie opens up. So yeah, with bearing that in mind, let's talk a little bit about the movie. Yeah, yeah. Up. let's not go through scene by scene. But no, go no. Ahead. But I, I got to talk about the opening scene of this okay. movie. So the opening scene of this movie, and and it is a first of all, it's representative of they have very little budget, but they do so much with it. They really give a like a real uh, feeling of being like in a dirty medieval era. Well, yeah, that's one thing I do want to give them a compliment for is it the production design is pretty good. Yeah, I mean it's a four hundred four hundred thousand dollar budget. Yeah, which is not. That high. Not even, not even in 1975. Yeah, not even in 75. And, I mean, you don't really see it. Like, it looks like it looks period appropriate yeah. with, like, obviously obvious jokes thrown in. Yes. But it does look like medieval time. Yes, and the opening scene of this movie specifically is the one that sets the tone for this. Because we see, we see like, a it looks like just like a big stake in a hill. And we hear the, the clopping of hooves and a, a horse rider. And coming up over the hill, we see the head of King Arthur. And then we realize he's not on a horse. He's just... <laughs> pretending he's on a horse and, his, and Patsy, his uh, his squire, is clopping some coconuts together. Well, and did you know that they were originally not going to have that joke? No, that, they were going to have horses. Their their original plan was to have horses. Yeah. Um, and then they basically, it became very clear that with their limited budget, they yeah. would not be able to preclude horses. 
so they instead they came up with this ridiculous old coconut gag that had been around probably since radio days. The idea of using coconuts to make a horse hooves, right? The sound of a horse hooves. Which, which by the way, is done so we can clearly see that he's not on a horse. Yeah, somebody is just banging somebody's just together. banging the coconuts together. Patsy, yeah, yeah good old Patsy, played um, by Terry Jones, played by Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam, yes, Terry Gilliam, okay, was okay. Patsy. Um, so that that in itself is a funny gag right out of the gate. But the brilliance of Monty Python is that they then ride up to a castle. And there's some guys on the battlements, and they they start uh, asking to see the master because they're searching for the Grail. And then, but <laughs> the guy in the battlements is concerned about the coconuts. He's like, "Wait, where are your horses? What are you doing?" He's like, "Coconuts." He's like, "Where'd you get the coconuts? Oh, we found them. You found coconuts in up here." <laughs> and he says, "Well, the, surely the, the 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 sparrow comes north. The, the, these are not the, these are the not swallow. The swallow, you know." They're, they're not from our land, but they're not strangers. And the guy says, "Are you suggesting that coconuts are migratory?" And the fact that they just they, they drill down into this stupid gag immediately, and and then they go on the whole thing about swallows and what's the you know could a, is it a European or an African swallow could carry the coconut? What's the airspeed velocity? Could maybe they string a string between the, the coconut and carry it together? Like it's and then eventually you know King Arthur just gets so mad he rides off. He just gets so frustrated with them. And I do I do want to apologize for my for reveling there a little bit, Jason. But that's yeah. the only time I'm going to be able to correct you on this episode. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take it with stride. No, you can. Absolutely. Um, one thing, yeah. So that's one of the things. So right away, that's one of the things. Um, they break every rule of movie making yeah. uh, in this movie. I mean, they're I mean in a good way. No, I'm no, not I know it's bad. I, I, you, like, know, you know the rules. Tell me. Well. <laughs> I mean, they're very laid out. They're, when you enter Paramount Studios, they're right there on the wall. Yep. Um, now they're online because of coronavirus. No, um, but no, uh, you know, they con- they're constantly questioning their own logic. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're, they're reminding everyone at any given moment that it's a movie. Yes, absolutely. Uh, there's abrupt cuts. Yeah. There's 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 things just completely shifting. Like I I I know that the beginning of the movie there their whole plan is to go to Camelot. Yes. And you think that that is the film that mm-hmm. they're on their way to Camelot. It's the journey to get there. They literally have a scene where they're they're talking about going to Camelot. They cut to this ridiculous silly music musical number, and they say, you know what? Let's not go to Camelot. It's a silly place. On second thought, let's not go to Camelot. It's a silly place. Yeah, and that's it. It's, it's just so thrown out right there. And then the movie completely shifts course. Well, then so there's that bit where they go, they, they see it for the first time, and it's this model on a hill, and they go, Camelot, Camelot, Camelot. And then Patsy goes, don't live model. Shh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, calling attention to the budget, calling attention to the, that it's a movie. Yeah. Completely changing the plot when yes. just because. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, so oh, but, it, but they were going to go to the Grail, but they had to go to Camelot first, right? Because that's where Arthur is from, and then they decided not to. Because but a I mean, place. but I mean, you know what I mean? A completely shifting course yes. with like, r- like abrupt, abruptly. So yeah. The, the whole point is to go to Camelot, and they're just like, "Fuck it, we're not." Going I just, to I it just makes me, <laughs> wa- it just makes me wonder though. Is this like the ultimate rebellious film? Is this I, rebellious I, comedy? I think so. I, I, I want to believe so. I love the... Their... This, this to me is like what... Um, and, and you know I love Saturday Night Live. Yes. This to me is what Saturday Night Live did in its early years. Mm. Is they're very rebellious to the style of what sketch comedy should be. Oh, and Monty Python... And they Python, drew inspiration from Monty Python. And Monty Python absolutely was that. Because Monty Python, again, like when traditional sketch comedy was, you know, you, you had a sketch, you had a punchline, you kind of had like a progression. Monty Python didn't need any of that. They just had funny characters or funny situations. And as soon as they thought they were done with it, they just said, oh, Gilliam, fill it in, you know? Mm. <laughs> and they and he did and it's fucking great uh, I mean and, and so many lines um, one of my favorite lines that I still love to quote to this day was somebody goes uh, I object to all this sex on TV I mean I'll keep falling off <laughs> I believe that was Graham Chapman dressed as what they called a pepper pot yeah just very silly yeah. 
like off bits. I, I see too, like, and I'm and I'm sure I haven't watched all the TV stuff, mm. so I'm sure there are problematic things, but less so than you would expect. And oh, yeah, not yeah. not a lot in this. There's one thing in particular that that kind of hmm, kind of raised an there's, eyebrow. There definitely was blackface in the show because I remember okay. Terry Gilliam being dressed up as like a native in full like blackface body body blackface and like with a spear and you know everything like yeah full okay. on yeah okay yeah, okay no, no question. Um. What was the thing you were concerned about? Oh, uh, I think there was like a, there was a weird like homophobic thing later on. Oh, oh, I bet you're gay. Yeah, right, right. When, when Sir yeah, Galahad yeah. goes to the castle and the girls are trying to have se- <laughs> the extended scene, and then the oral sex. <laughs> also, you mentioned that um, it establishes the tone of the movie right off the bat yes. with the horse thing. Yeah. I gotta say, it establishes it even earlier than that. I think with the opening credits. Yes. So much so, Jason, that I'm going to tell you right now. Yes. Having not seen this since I was. 17? Yeah. I was tricked. You, you, you forgot I the... <laughs> thought, for some reason on Netflix, that the Swedish subtitles were on somehow. <laughs> and I was trying for the life of me to figure out how to turn... I was like, okay, I have the English subtitles on. <laughs> because, I don't know if I'm weird, but I usually watch movies with subtitles You're not on. weird. I know lots of people that do that. I, I, it just... It helps. I don't do it with comedies very often. Because I feel like it kills the joke. But with a British movie, sometimes if the accents are thick. Oh, man. I had those on for Kess. 100%. <laughs> but... But um, for a movie like this, anyway, yeah, so I had the subtitles. So I was like, okay, I'll just turn them off for a second. And then it came up again, and I was like, why the fuck are there Swedish subtitles? <laughs> and then eventually you got it. I started to catch on. <laughs> also Vic, also, also Vic. And then uh, like the moose, I saw a moose. And, and then, then a bunch of credits for the moose. Yeah. Uh, like, and then, of course, it, 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 the music all slows down, and we see a card that says, uh, we're sorry about the titles. The person responsible for those titles have been sacked. And then there's a translation of that, and then yeah. there's another card that says, we're sorry for the people that were responsible for the people for the titles. Those people have also been sacked. The, the, the people responsible for the people sacking those have been sacked. You know, like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's so silly. And then, of course, at the very end of it, it fucks up again, and then they stop and go, we've redone the titles in a totally expensive and last-minute style, and then it's just it's flashing just flashing colors, colors yeah. Screaming and llama. That, by the way, was a Michael Palin idea. <laughs> um, that was apparently just something he said. You know what? We have these big long credits that we had to put at the beginning. Well, we got to do something to kind of keep them captive, keep them watching. And he said, "Why yeah. don't we just do something ridiculous right off the yeah, bat?" Yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing was like a, a play on like like the Seventh Seal or like some like really serious Swedish movie. You know, mm-hmm. that have these very stark opening titles, and and they get all the titles in because the movie doesn't have a, any credits at the end, right? Um, so even the title sequence of this movie is great. It's it's funny. They they cram comedy into every place they can. I, I now the first clip I want to play because we're gonna play a few clips. Please here, do. Because how how can you not play clips in this movie? But this is a scene. This is an early scene where um, uh, Graham Chapman as King Arthur uh, stumbles upon these two uh, peasants. And I mean, this is just interesting because we talked about Terry Gilliam in Brazil. Yeah. And this isn't the entire intention of the scene, but there's a little bit of like his thoughts on bureaucracy in here that I thought were thrown in. Yeah. And so I thought, I just want to play a little bit of this, uh, this bit here. How'd you do? How'd you do, good lady? I'm Arthur, King of the Britons. Whose castle is that? King of the who? The Britons. Who are the Britons? Well, we all are. We are all Britons. And I am your king. I didn't know we had a king. I thought we were an autonomous collective. You're fooling yourself. We're living in a dictatorship. A self-perpetuating autocracy in which the working classes... Oh, there you go, bringing class into it again. That's what it's all about. If only people would... Please, please, good people, I am in haste. Who lives in that castle? No one lives there. Then who is your lord? We don't have a lord. 
What? I told you, we're an anarcho-syndicalist commune. We take it in turns to act as a sort of executive officer for the week. Yes. But all the decisions of that officer have to be ratified at a special bi-weekly meeting. Yes, I see. By a simple majority in the case of purely internal affairs. Be quiet. But by a two-thirds majority in the case of more... Be quiet. I order you to be quiet. Order? Who does he think he is? (laughs) I'm your king. Well, I didn't vote for you. You don't vote for kings. Well, how do you become king, then? The Lady of the Lake. Her arm clad in the purest shimmering samite held aloft Excalibur from the bosom of the water, signifying by divine providence that I, Arthur, was to carry Excalibur. That is why I'm your king. Listen, strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses. It is relevant today as ever. <laughs> well, and, and there's a little bit in there. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a little bit in there. Well, you have to do this, and you have to get an assembly to do this and this. And I just think it's interesting yeah. because 10 years later, Gilliam makes Brazil, and bureaucracy is the even more, backbone yeah. of that movie. But that, of course, being the, the joke being the, the modern approach to you know the, these left-wing ideas, which would have been very much in the British zeitgeist in the 70s, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and bringing it into this uh, medieval era is quite funny, but... And Den- I, oh, Dennis! I love Dennis. <laughs> and, and I do, and I do want to just let you listen to Terry Gilliam a little bit, just talking about like the fact that everyone's playing multiple roles, because yeah. you'll hear an energy and optimism in his voice that we didn't hear when we listened to Cups on Brazil. <laughs> just listen to what ten years does to a man. Yes, everybody's in the film. This is that's the incredible thing. In almost every shot, everybody's playing about two characters, so people are always having backs to cameras and things like that, trying to hide the fact that it's in fact it's somebody who isn't in fact that character doing it. It's it's gotten weird. There were a couple of days where we actually couldn't keep track of who was who because you couldn't do one shot because John had to be somebody else, so we couldn't do that shot. So we had to do that shot, which meant moving the camera over there, which meant changing that. There. Just, we got it done. There. <laughs> Listen to that man. Yeah. He's full of life. Full of life and joy. Full of life and joy. <laughs> Before the studio just worked him over to de- to the bone. Yeah, the multiple roles thing is funny because if you watch the movie, you can see in certain scenes you will see like um, you'll see Lancelot, but he'll have his like especially with Tim the Enchanter, you'll see Lancelot in the background, but he has a helmet on. Or in one scene, you can see Sir Robin in the background. And it's clearly not Eric Idle, but mm-hmm. it is just a guy with a mustache. <laughs> Yeah, I did notice that uh, on this watch, and I mean, again, it's been a long time, but I noticed that King Arthur's uh, design on his shirt is just a sun with a mustache. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and like, I think they each kind of have symbols that represent them. Yeah. Like Sir Robin has... Uh, he's like a chicken. Yeah, yeah, he's a chicken. <laughs> and uh, oh my God, should we just listen to the Sir Robin song? Yeah, let's listen because to the Sir Robin song. I, it's, I, it's one of the best parts of the movie. I mean, we have Eric Idle here playing brave Sir Robin, and he gets this song with 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 by his minstrel, which Again, by the way played by Neil Innes. With my twenty twenty ears, when I heard minstrel, I said, "Uh oh!" Mm-hmm. And thankfully, it was just a white dude. He's a bard. He's a bard like a D and D. Yeah, um, playing this song while Eric Idle uh, clip clops around without a horse. Bravely bold Sir Robin brought forth from Camelot. He was not afraid to die. Oh, brave Sir Robin. He was not at all afraid to be killed in nasty ways. Pray, 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 Sir Robin. He was not in the least bit scared to be mashed into a pulp, or to have his eyes gouged out and his elbows broken, to have his kneecap split and his body burned away, and his limbs all hacked and mangled, pray, Sir Robin. His head smashed in and his heart cut out and his liver removed and his bowels unplugged and his nostrils raped and his bottom burnt off and his penis... That's, that's, uh, 
That's enough music for now, lads. <laughs> and yeah, that's good. I love that song. But like, it's and of great. course, we get the the fun the fun joke later when they when we have the animation where they go through winter and it was a hard winter and then they had to eat Sir Robin's minstrels and uh, everyone rejoiced. Yeah, I missed yeah, that yeah. part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, I do like that. Uh, I see. This is the thing. To me, if you look through the seventies, okay, the seventies and the eighties, especially the seventies, I think mm. you get movies like Animal House. Yeah. You get movies like that, which. Like, I like Animal House Me a too. lot, but it comes off so cruel now. Yeah. Like, it, you watch it, and you're like, these guys are fucking assholes. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. But I watched something like Monty Python, and it feels like rebellious comedy, mm. but not to the point where it's, like, overtly offensive no. or, like, overtly, like, masculine. And I wonder if no. that's, like, the British thing coming into play. It's probably part of it, yeah. I'm not saying that British people aren't masculine, but you know what I mean. Like, that, it's just a they, different they, sensibility. They would often play against that stuff. They would make fun of that stuff in the show. I mean, you know, the, the masculine stereotypes. What I'm I mean, saying. famously, the, the... What is it? Uh, there's one... <laughs> I don't know. That, yeah, they, they they fuck with that stuff all the time. They gender bend in the show, like they because they always dress up as women. Like they they fuck around with all sorts of things. I, I mean, I think the, honestly, I think they're ahead of what we. I, th- I think they were ahead of the game they were, in terms sure. of films. In terms of like you know, uh, I don't want to say this is like a a vast like intricate critique of toxic masculinity, yeah. but kind of yeah. At certain points, especially in the show, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I just think it's a different. It's a it's a whole different animal in terms of like rebel comedy. Yeah. Um, Bring out your dead, of course. Another iconic scene early in the movie. Uh, that one uh, we love because the guy's not dead, and <laughs> what can you do about it? And he clocks him on the head. I think that bring out your dead scene might be one of the most like historically like accurate scenes. The idea of somebody coming along with a cart just to pile people on because of the Black Death. I mean, the Black Death killed a third of Europe, so that was not crazy. <laughs> Also, and then we have the scene later where the lady's beating the beating the cat against the rug, and because people blamed cats during the Black Death for spreading it, when in fact it was actually the rats, mm-hmm. and they were killing the cats, which caused the rats to you know spread even further. Well, and isn't this like um, isn't this that thing where it's like a lot of comedy is based on st- based on stuff you like? Yes, like when you're making fun of things. Like I'm sure um, the members of Monty Python are particularly fascinated by this era in history yeah. because you have to be in order to be this intricate and know stuff about that time. Well, and they're all like upper middle class, upper class guys that went to like super fancy universities and would have learned all this ancient history and stuff. And of course, we we'll, we'll see that in Life of Brian in the Latin scenes because John Cleese had done a lot of Latin in school and so was able to help with writing out these Latin phrases that they they write on the walls and stuff. But yeah, the, 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 this is definitely the kind of wheelhouse that these guys would have had, I imagine, this British history and, you know, of course, the Arthurian legend that they probably grew up with. Yeah. It's almost like when you see someone doing an impression of a famous person, it's like, odds are, they're probably a giant fan. Yeah, they probably like as, as, as mean as it could sometimes come across. <laughs> now, let's not put Alec Baldwin as Donald Trump into that into that, uh, into that that pool, because I'm sure... Well, maybe he would be a fan if Donald Trump wasn't president. Uh, probably not. I don't think he cares for him too much. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. I, I just think, I think that's uh, I think that's interesting. <laughs> and then okay, so then we have the scene where they go to the French fort, which is another classic scene where we have the the line that I would always quote: the, "Your your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries." Hmm. Now during this scene, I have to point out: you know how sometimes in life you misremember things? Well, this is a scene where I misremembered something. Oh shit! Because yeah. for a long time I've been quoting this movie. So the scene where they're up on the battlements and then of course they're talking to them and, and the French guy's insulting them, and he's getting and he goes a. Uh, Fetch le vache. 
the guy goes, quoi? He goes, fetch le vache. And they haul the cow out, and then they put it in the catapult and huck it over at Arthur and his crew. I thought in that scene that he went, fetch le vache, quoi? Fetch le vache. And the guy went, huh? And he said in English, throw the cow. And he goes, oh. But that wasn't what happened. That was actually me mixing it up with a little later scene where they, they build the Trojan rabbit to send into the... Uh, and in, nobody gets in it? And nobody gets in it. <laughs> but they go to send it to the castle, and the French guys all stick their heads out. One of them goes, oh, c'est un cadeau. And the guy goes, quoi? And he goes, it's a present. And he goes, oh, un cadeau. <laughs> There's little things like that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I was, I'm glad I watched it again because I'd been misquoting it for so long. Um, oh, well, now you can uh, you can correct your Mandela syndrome. And I also laughed really hard. I, I'd forgotten this line. I laughed really hard when he goes, uh, wait, you're French guys. What are you doing in England? And he goes, mind your own business. <laughs> now, we had to talk about something because we were... We we've been quoting stuff a lot. I, I can't help it. I no no no. That's fine. But I'm not. I'm not talking about you or me. But I'm talking about back in university. Yeah. The the there were some dudes who quoted this all the yeah. time. Monty Python. Everything. We Monty are the Python. to say And that is the biggest <laughs> offender. <laughs> yeah. That absolutely. is the biggest offender. So much so that when I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I like this anymore. <laughs> it's, it's not the It's not the movie's fault. It's it's fine. It's silly and fine, but like just it's so correlated to those people I knew in university. And it's not even just like the people who quote it. It's the people who quote it. And then get all aloof when you're like, huh? Huh? Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's like... Dude. I was probably like that to some extent, and I apologize to everyone who had to suffer through me. Yeah, they're they're listening right now. Yeah, I hope you What are. do you have to say to Gary? Gary, listen, man. Look, you didn't have to watch the whole series. I didn't have to hit you with that DVD of Series 2, but I did. Trudy, Trudy's listening, too. I can't change it. Trudy, I'm sorry. Uh, you uh, are a fine person, and... Just because you don't uh, watch Monty Python doesn't mean that you are an idiot. And, of course, uh, last but not least, your former roommate, uh, Devin Sawa. Devin Sawa. I, 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 look, I, I said some terrible things to you about your uh, your handsome looks and mm. your, your various movie roles, and I'm sorry. I, in retrospect, I just wanted you to start a remake of Life of Brian. I thought you'd make a good, uh, good Brian. <laughs> I love how I picked someone who you were like, uh, various movie roles. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't pick. I mean, was he in Final Destination? Yeah. yeah, okay, Final Destination. There you go. And Slackers. Slacker. The, the movie everyone knows and remembers. Not, not Richard Linklater's no. 1993 Slacker. No, 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 no. Okay, no, no. I'd say he's probably a child at that point. The bad one with Jason Schwartzman because he used to make bad choices. <laughs> well, hey, we all got to make a paycheck, right? Don't we? Where, do, where were we going with this? I don't oh, know. Oh, the, the fucking bros in university. Oh, yeah. But we, yeah. We, it, 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 and I'm also always reminded of it, and it was so, it, it, it cut me right to the bone, but I got it. On Family Guy, there was a scene where Meg gets tied up in the basement and forced to watch Monty Python on TV, and she goes, oh my, she goes, hey, I'm a girl. I don't even like the good Monty Python. <laughs> because they're making her watch the bad Monty Python. Yeah. The one that nobody remembers. All the, all the offensive Monty Python sketches that everybody forgets. And and some Monty Python fans would argue the meaning of life. I see. I like meaning of life. Meaning of life is a is not as good as the other two movies, but there's a lot of funny in there. I like it too. But I think out of all of the stuff, I yeah, think that yeah. one gets the most criticism. Yeah, no, and it, it isn't the best of their movies. But I mean, hey, Graham Chapman being chased to death by a bunch of topless women, which is extra hilarious. Now that you know that he's gay, <laughs> it's pretty. It does make yeah. it better. They should have put that as a disclaimer on the screen. 
Absolutely. Um, Just to oh, let you know, this actor is a homosexual. Also, in that in that scene with the Frenchman, I have to mention them running up when they when they charge the castle. You see, Lancelot is just trying to stab the wall of the castle, and it always makes me laugh because it's like, what are you trying to even do? <laughs> well, there's lots of little there's lots of little jokes like that that are kind of under the radar. Yeah. One of them that I really like is, um, and I think we'll play the the first scene in a bit here. But the Knights who say knee because yeah. we need to play that because it's you know kind yeah, of iconic. It's iconic for sure. Um, but later on, when they say, we are now the knights who say, what do they say? Wiki, wiki, fatong, whatever, yeah. Yeah. When they say that, when you they hear say that. You hear a couple people go, knee. Yeah. And yeah then you, go, hear, you hear it just very slightly in the background. You hear like, knee. Knee. And then they, somebody will go, shh. No, we're not that anymore. <laughs> no, it's not even addressed. Oh, no. That's the best part. They say like, nicky, nicky, bug, 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 bug. And then you hear, knee. <laughs> it's, just, it's just one of those great little bits. So let's play the the bit from this movie that has haunted my university uh, tenure. Who are you? We are the knights who say... Nee. No, nee. not the knights nee. who say ni. Nee. The same. Who are they? We are the keepers of the sacred words. Ni, nee. ping, and ni-wom. Those who hear them seldom live to tell the tale. The knights who say ni. Nee. Demand a sacrifice. Knights of Ni, we are but simple travelers who seek the enchanter who lives beyond these woods. We shall say Ni again to you if you do not appease us. Well, what is it you want? We want a shrubbery. A what? Please, please, no more. We will find you a shrubbery. You must return here with a shrubbery, or else you will never pass through this wood alive. Oh, Knights of Knee, you are just and fair, and we will return with a shrubbery. One that looks nice. Of course. And not too expensive. Yes. Now, go! So... Yeah, that's 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 the one. But you know what? The best part of that, and the part that no one will quote in university, is where they go, "We want a shrubbery." Yeah, a shrubbery. <laughs> and then, of course, later they meet. My name is Roger, and I'm a shrubber. I sell and make shrubberies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's it's just very like you know, people latch onto a catchphrase. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this movie is full of them. There are, you know, lots of things you can quote. Obviously, um, my personal favorite scene in this movie, by the way, is where John Cleese uh, brutally executes like a hundred people. Yeah, that that scene is wonderful because you have the the, the initial part of it where because it's the tale of Sir Lancelot, right? And it's just the two guards standing outside looking out in the distance, and they see Lancelot running in, and it keeps cutting between their view and Lancelot. And whenever you see Lancelot, you got these drums, and every time they cut back to Lancelot, he's it's the same clip. He's it's like same. running at them, but it's he's the exact same distance every time and then on the last time he all of a sudden runs up and stabs both of them and then proceeds to murder everybody in the everyone party. he's running through just slashing people left and right he, stabbing he, stabbing he kicks the bride in the chest yeah and of course this is all precipitated by by herbert who is the the son of the uh, lord that runs who the castle him? that's a, that's terry jones okay as herbert okay. um and he's just this waif of a, a fellow who's clearly not the prince that his father wants him to be and this is also a moment where I was like, uh-oh, because he had John Cleese come in thinking it was a princess. Exactly, yes. Turns out to be a prince. Yes. But they didn't go they didn't go too harsh on it. No. 
They yeah. they just had John Cleese kind of go, oh, I thought you were a lady. Um, this is awkward, yeah. basically. Like, but then the the guy is like, oh well, maybe because uh, he realizes who he is. The, the, the even though he just killed everybody, the Lord realizes that Lancelot's from Camelot, and he's like, oh well, well, maybe we could be friends here and work together. This guy's an important knight. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's died. <laughs> and this actually, I talked about uh, John Cleese murdering everyone. I uh, being like one of my favorite. I think that's one of my favorite like visual things. Mm. But this is my favorite scene and it's from this scene make sure the prince doesn't leave this room until i come and get him not to leave the room even if you come and get him no no until i come and get him until you come and get him we're not to enter the room no 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 you stay in the room and make sure he doesn't leave and you'll come and get him right we don't need to do anything apart from just stop him entering the room no no leaving the room leaving the room yes all right Right. Right. Oh, if 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 uh, if if uh, if, yes, if if we oh if, if oh look, it's quite simple. Uh, you just stay here and make sure he doesn't leave the room. All right? right. Oh, I remember. Uh, can he leave the room with us? No, 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 no. You just keep him in here and make sure. Oh he... yes, we'll keep him in here, obviously. But if he had to leave and we were no, no, with no, him... Just keep him in here... Until you or anyone else... No, not anyone else. Just me. Just you. Get back. Get back. Right? Right. We'll stay here until you get back. And uh, make sure he doesn't leave. What? Make sure he doesn't leave. The prince? Yes, make sure he doesn't leave. Oh, yes, of course. I thought you meant him. You know, it seemed a bit daft me having to guard him when he's a guard. Is that clear? Oh, quite clear. No problems. Right. Where are you going? We're coming with you. No, no, I want you to stay here and make sure he doesn't leave. Oh, I see. Right. Father! Shut your noise, you, and get that suit on. Classic little uh, bit. Almost like a... Almost like an Abbott and Costello bit. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And then and it continues in that kind of way when Lancelot kills his way in, right? And then at one point he goes, you killed eight wedding guests and all. And he goes, well, I didn't mean to. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, and, but then he realizes who he is. He takes him down and everybody, of course, is pissed off. And and she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not bicker about who killed who. <laughs> yeah, of course. And, and then what, Herbert's trying to climb out the window uh, after that, too. And they... Uh, Dad comes up and cuts the rope and he falls out and we just hear this wonderful little squeak as he hits the ground. But he doesn't die. <laughs> but he doesn't die. No, he's, he's alive. He's actually quite in pretty good shape despite that fall. Um, what, I re- what I really appreciate about this kind of con... Because this is like... I guess you could you could say it sort of follows in the tradition of like a spoof movie. Although yes. it's not really spoofing specifically other movies. Like It's not like scary movie. No. It's like specifically Scream and I know you did last summer. This is yeah. just... This isn't. This doesn't point to a particular movie. I don't but think. It, but it or if it like, does, it's lost a time in my mind. I mean, yeah, I don't think it does. But like, it feels like like just um, that general style. I mean, Michael Palin did, or I think it was Michael Palin, or it might have been Graham Chapman. But they talked about in an interview briefly how they're big fans of uh, Charlton Heston and mm-hmm. those epics, and yeah. they wanted to give it that kind of feel. So, if anything, I guess you can go with that. Um, it makes sense. They, they they like that sort of thing. I think Graham Chapman must like that sort of thing because he was in a movie late after Python called Yellowbeard, which kind of had a similar um, similar approach to it, although I remember the movie not being very good at all. Although there is one scene in that movie where a little girl is walking on the street with a piece of uh, poop in her hand, and she's going, piece of shit for a farming, piece of shit for a farming. 
Oh, so it's a comedy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but it, but what I really like the extra effort here is that it isn't just how funny and silly and clever this movie is, but it's the way they make it look like they're not trying. Mm. And like it's it's there's t- clearly tons of effort. But um, they make it look like they're not. They, they, they don't give a fuck. Mm. But, but I mean, they do. They do. You know what I mean? It's the, oh, no, it's the illusion do. of making it look so effortless um, that I really like. Yes. I, I like their characterization. I like the way that they do everything in this movie. Specifically, Graham Chapman is really in this kind of like arch style of, of Arthur speaking in a very formal style and almost shouting at all times because he's the king and that's how he would speak. And, it, and, it, and it's reminiscent of movies. Uh, uh, similar movies about uh, these historical epics of people talking in that way. Nobody is uh, nobody is winking at the camera though. No, like I, I mean, you get silly bits and you get cheeky little you know punchlines and stuff, but nobody is like nobody in these movies. I find like looks at the camera. He's like, oh, we're daft, aren't we? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just everyone plays the part so earnestly. Exactly, and exactly. I think that makes the comedy come out even more. Yeah, absolutely, and and it makes when the when the silliness happens that much more effective and sillier. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we should talk about the overall. We, we should mention the meta plot essentially, which which forms the bones of this movie at some point. So, so at one point we cut to a, a famous historian who's a man who's just like talking about like the history of King Arthur and, and the quest for the Grail. And By everything. the way, he's credited as a famous historian. Yes. yes. Um, and at some point during that scene, I believe it's Lancelot. Yeah, one of them just rides by and just slashes his throat open, and he falls to the ground. And the cameraman runs in, and uh, and then the wife and everything, and they check on. And then throughout the movie, it occasionally cuts back to the scene of like the uh, of like a tarp being put over the body and being hauled away and everything. And then that figures into it at the end of the movie when the the climax of the movie is interrupted by the police showing up and uh, arresting everybody, which was a point of contention um, among the troop. Mm. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you heard this, but I, I feel like I, I don't remember the specifics, but yeah. The, but John the, the, John Cleese was not a fan of this ending, mm. um, and he thought it was, uh, which I think I think is weird because he said he called it like abrupt and very yeah. like anticlimactic. But I'm like, that's kind, kind of, of what the style. Python is, yeah, yeah, it's kind of the style of the sketches. Maybe you just haven't been back for a while. Well, that's but, it. Yeah, yeah. The sketches don't end with the punchline; they end with some weird ending, or they don't usually end. They usually will transition to something else. But that's a great like weird fucking ending. And that's another Michael Palin idea, by the way, because yeah. um, Michael Palin basically said okay we're building to this battle there's no fucking way in hell we're gonna be able to shoot this battle yeah. uh, on the budget we have it's, it's so, quite impressive what they do with what they have because they have yeah. all these people in costume and they shoot them in enough different ways that it looks like probably a bigger group of people than it really was yeah so but he said like you know we got to find a way out of this and he, and i think that's when they started to shoot that additional footage mm. so i don't think they were that was their plan at all at the beginning but once they had you know the the joke with the uh historical uh guy getting murdered is they put little things in them in, um, amongst the movie yeah. that had the uh, kind of investigation into his murder and then of course the anticlimax is everyone just getting arrested for yes. the murder of the historical guy which is which is great I love it I love it oh I think it's hilarious I love fuck, fuck you moments like that yeah. where it's like you think you're going to get this big epic scene and it's just interrupted by this but the whole the movie the whole time has been warning you that something like this is probably going to happen yeah. you can't watch this movie see that ending and be surprised yeah like it's not like it's a tonal shift no absolutely uh, the, the, yeah 
Exactly. This movie's got everything. It's even got the, we haven't talked about Sir Galahad scene yet, but where uh, Michael Palin as Sir Galahad goes to, he sees the grail in the distance at a castle, and so he goes there, and he realizes there's a bunch of ladies uh, between uh, the ages of 16 and 19 and a half. That's another one that I was like, (laughs) 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 started a different middle age. But he's Sir Galahad the chaste, right? So he's there to find the grail, but it turns out there's all these nubile teenage girls there, and uh, he meets Zoot, played by Carol Cleveland. And of course, they want to get him. They get him into bed, and they they have the girls come in to check on him because they're doctors. They're not really doctors, but they've studied medical arts, I guess. <laughs> Do you think this scene should have been cut? We yeah. were worried about it when the boys were writing it. Yeah, uh, great little uh, fourth wall breaking for no real reason there. Yeah, <laughs> get <laughs> on with it. Get on with it. And and the best thing about that is we have to get on with it. And the get on with it has flashbacks to people we've seen already, but also flash forwards to <laughs> we haven't met yet in, in Tim the Enchanter and the guy from scene twenty four, which is a smashing scene. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I love that. Like you haven't even seen these people yet, and they're already showing up. And they <laughs> yeah. get on with it. Uh, and Tim the Enchanter. We have to talk about Tim the Enchanter. I love Tim the Enchanter, played by John Cleese. Oh, okay. Because they, they go to find him, and th- th- that's where they're going, to meet the Enchanter in the mountains, and they have him standing there just showing off, blowing things up, and it looks great. It's it's great, and he fires like what looks like a rocket, and it blows up. It's Oh, oh Enchanta. Uh, I'm Enchanta. And he goes, well, what is your name, Oh Enchanta? And he goes, some call me Tim. <laughs> oh, Tim the Enchanter. <laughs> well, I mean, if we're talking about classic scenes, we also have the rabbit. I yes. think that I think that stands out. Well, the rabbit, obviously, the bunny, the the what is, I forget what the name of the rabbit was. The giant rabbit of or the rabbit of something. I do have it, but go on. But yeah, so the rabbit. And this also is one of the best Graham Chapman lines in the movie, where he sees the so, rabbit of Carbonog. Right, the rabbit of Carbonog. So they send out Terry Gilliam again, playing a different knight who we haven't seen to this point. He's just like go out there, and so he like puts the helmet on and goes out, and immediately the rabbit shoots at his neck and fucking t- goes into his neck, and there's blood everywhere, and fucking takes his head off. And Graham Chapman just screams, "Jesus Christ!" in the most wonderfully exasperated way. It's so funny, and I love how I love how easily limbs come off in this movie. Yes. Oh, they just <laughs> knock off. Well, we didn't even talk about the Black Knight. Yet, but I mean, there's uh, so many iconic things in this movie. That's the thing, Jason. I, I kind of see where you're coming from yeah. in terms of this and Life of Brian because, like you said, Life of Brian may be the better movie, which mm. we, we haven't talked about yet. But like this might have this might be the more well known. Oh, absolutely. And oh, no, think, no, no question. I think in terms of that, like I think there's a strong argument to, I mean, possibly replace it. Yeah. In in, in terms of you, like, you could definitely make that argument. It would not be it would not be crazy. In terms of recognition alone and legacy. I don't know that I would replace it with it, but like I mean that would if you did, I wouldn't it wouldn't bother me. It would be absolutely perfect for sure. Um Yeah, so and and so we see this scene so they they, they charge the rabbit, they all get massacred. <laughs> And they come out, and this is the first time I've noticed this. And the many times I've watched this movie, I'd never noticed this before. But when they come out of battle, um, Arthur says, uh, who did we lose? And he goes, uh, the guy's like, oh, we lost this person and this person and this person. He goes, so we lost five. And he goes, no, three. <laughs> he goes, oh, okay. He's like, three. Yeah, right. There's a running joke where Arthur thinks five is three. He thinks five is three. Because then later they decide they got to, shortly thereafter they decide they got to use the holy hand grenade of Antioch to yeah. take out the... Uh, uh, take out the rabbit and he has to count to three. Three shall be the number of counting, not uh, not four and not two unless it's on the way to three and five is right out. But so when he counts it, he pulls the pin and he goes, one, two, five, three, sir, three. And he throws it and then of course it explodes and kills it's the It's such a weird, it is like, there's no, there's no explanation of the joke. It's just, he just calls three five. Yeah, and then later, and later he does it one more time. He makes yeah. that confusion of five for three. It's just nothing. It's just, it's just literally just there to be there. But of course, oh, and 
I suppose we should back up and talk about the Black Knight for a sec, because that's another super iconic scene. He Early in the movie, Arthur is riding, and he meets this Black Knight who's having a battle with the Green Knight, and he murders the Green Knight. And the Black Knight played by John Cleese. Black Knight played by John Cleese. Voice, anyway. Yeah. Walks up to him, you know, and he wants him to join his party, but he doesn't even say anything until finally he wants to get by, and he says, uh, you shall not pass. I move for no man. <laughs> and then they have their battle, and then he cuts off his arm, and he's like, well, he's like, this is merely a flesh wound. Well, your arm's off! And he goes, no, it isn't. <laughs> Merely a flesh wound, and I'll... Uh, by the way, I thought the line was, I'll bite your ankles, but it was, I'll bite your legs. I'll bite your legs yeah. off. Uh, that line and Merely a flesh wound were two other yeah. university things that I was like... <laughs> just associating... Come back here, I'll bite your legs off. How about you? <laughs> yeah, just two things I associated with uh, yeah, annoying with those people. Things. Again, yeah, absolutely, that was the one. But that, you know, he, I mean, he, it's he just, ends up cutting off his arms and his legs and leaves them on the ground with none. I mean, you can make it... it it's It's... it's Stuff like that that makes it even kind of weirder to watch. Not weirder, but it kind of makes it annoying to watch parts of Borat even. Yeah. Or Napoleon Dynamite, another movie well, I even, actually like. Even go back to Wayne's World occasionally, although yeah. I think it's been long enough with Wayne's World. I'm yeah. kind of past And it I think now. Napoleon Dynamite is just past that point yeah. where it's okay. You can watch it again, mm. not have to be reminded. Um, and I think Borat is almost there. Almost there. But Python's had this staying power, too, that has kind of kept it in the zeitgeist. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, you still have the teenage boys that discover it and can't stop quoting it. And like I say, I was one of them, so. <laughs> I don't think you were the exact type of person I'm talking about, though. No, no, I don't think. I, I hope I didn't do it to that level, but you never know. That's why Jason's got a scar on his face, because I cut him. Uh, do you want to know a little bit about the rabbit, actually? Sure. So that, that scene with the rabbit, um, a real white rabbit was used. And they switched it with a puppet, obviously, when it came time to do the effect shots. Yes. Um, it was covered with red liquid to simulate the blood. Although the rabbit's owner did not want the animal dirty and was kept unaware that they were going to cover the <laughs> rabbit in red liquid. However, and it was very difficult to remove it from its fur. Um, <laughs> basically, uh, Terry Gilliam said that like, if I had been more experienced in filmmaking, uh, we would have just bought a rabbit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, otherwise, though, the rabbit was unharmed. They were very careful with the animals on set. There was no animals harmed. Uh, Apparently even though- there's a horse in the movie. I don't remember where he is, but there's one horse in the movie that shows up. Yeah. Yeah, so the Black Knight. Uh, and, and, I mean, we got to play another very iconic scene here, Jason. This is the last clip I have yeah. here. Um, but this is, uh, this is the scene on the bridge. We have the troll who uh, this actually you know well, what it's the guy from scene 24 yeah i'll make this the third i'll make this the third university third and final university uh, thing <laughs> here but this one was less annoying to me um because it's a longer scene this is the there's a there's a troll under the bridge and he he's asks not a troll you, he's a man he's the man from scene 24 he's not a troll i mean he's basically a troll but he asks everyone three questions yes. you have to answer three questions to pass and uh let's just play it who would cross the bridge of death must answer me these questions three and the other side he see. Ask me the questions, Bridgekeeper. I am not afraid. What is your name? My name is Sir Lancelot of Camelot. What is your quest? To seek the Holy Grail. What is your favorite color? Blue. Right, off you go. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. <clears throat> That's easy! Who approaches the bridge of death must answer me these questions three. Uh, the other side he see. Ask me the questions, bridgekeeper. I'm not afraid. What is your name? Sir Robin of Camelot. What is your quest? To seek the Holy Grail. What 
is the capital of Assyria. I don't know that! Stop! What is your name? Sir Galahad of Camelot. What is your quest? I seek the Grail. What is your favorite color? Blue. No. <laughs> Stop. What is your name? It is Arthur, King of the Britons. What is your quest? To seek the Holy Grail. What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? What do you mean? An African or European swallow? I, I don't know that. Yeah, so I mean, that's another iconic one. Um, one thing I noticed uh, throughout the movie is, you know, they have that they have that joke established, like you said, but the French uh, soldiers early on about the, you know, how could you get a coconut here? And it's like, well, we got it from a swallow. It's like swallows. And um, I don't know if you, I don't, you definitely noticed because you've seen this a million yeah. times, but uh, there's a scene later on where just at the very beginning of the scene, you see someone like putting a coconut, attaching it to a swallow yeah. and flying, like, <laughs> letting it fly away. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with the scene, no. but it's just to tie into the yeah. earlier stuff. And they the, reference the swallow throughout the movie. Yeah, that, that, that joke was set up immediately in the beginning and is referenced a couple of times and then pays off with, with Arthur being like, wait, an African or European swallow and that's the thing that gets him past the bridge. Right, like, That's so right. great. Well, Jason, fuck. I know I want to get your bits and bobs, and I want to get more on this movie, but I do want to. I, I lied. I have one more scene, All right. and it's the she's a witch scene because this is one that I okay. <laughs> no word of a lie. Hmm. I had a I had a job. I don't remember where it is, and if I did, I'm probably not going to say it anyway. Hmm. But I had a job where they actually played this scene during orientation uh, on the on the <laughs> on the basis that it was, uh, I guess, about communication. So let's just listen to the scene which many training programs at various jobs have implemented. Clearly, wow. Who do you know she is a witch? She looks like one! Bring her forward. I'm not a witch, I'm not a witch. But you are dressed as one. They dressed me up like this. And this isn't my nose, it's a false one. Will? Well, we did do the nose. The nose and the hat. But she's a witch! Did you dress her up like this? No! 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 Yes! 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 A bit! A bit! A bit! She has got a wart! What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt? I got better. There are ways of telling whether she is a witch. Are they? Well, they tell us. They hurt. Tell me, what do you do with witches? And what do you burn apart from witches? More witches. Wood. So. Why do witches burn? Because they're made of wood. Good! Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, 
How do we tell whether she is made of wood? Build a bridge out of her. Ah, but can you not also make bridges out of stone? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. Uh, Does a wood sink in water? No, no. No, it floats. It floats. Throw her into the pond. <laughs> what also floats in water? Bread. Apples. Uh, very small rocks. Cider. A great gravy. Cherries. Mud. A churches. Churches. Lead. Lead. A duck. Exactly. So, logically, if she weighs the same as a duck, she's made of wood. And therefore... A witch! A witch! A witch! So yes, working places across Canada... <laughs> Showing you the logic of oh, obviously you want to teach your employees how to recognize a witch. Yeah, um, actually, my current occupation uh, showed a different Monty Python clip. It's it just it's weird to me. Like it, it's happened at so many jobs that I've had. I think, Jason, I'm not lying to you. I think every job I've ever applied for during the orientation, there's been a Monty Python clip. You, that says a lot about the provenance of the middle managers that run that company. Um, the one that we, the one that I've watched at my current job is the, is a, a clip of the cheese sketch. Oh, classic. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. And that's, and that's again, uh, I don't understand why. Cause, cause the, the idea with that sketch is that he goes into the shop and they don't have any cheese. So he just keeps saying, no, we don't. And then, and then one boy's like, oh, my, oh, the cat's got it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it makes me wonder, like, is this just a generation of people that are like, I just want to show this to as many people as possible. I mean, and Hey, good on him for that. Cause that's a funny sketch. I just don't know what relevance it has to a job. <laughs> I don't know. I was watching. I remember watching it, being like, "Okay, well, I guess we're just gonna watch this Monty Python now." Fine. Yeah, okay. That's, I have no complaints. But sure. it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's, it's better than a training video, I suppose. <laughs> oh no, we got those too. Hmm. But Jason, we, we can quote this movie all day oh, yeah, long. Yeah. But you, you know, you have some uh, some beautiful handwriting there. Oh um, yeah, it's wonderful. Some bits and bobs. Uh, for a us. few things I haven't mentioned yet. I, again, the subtitles love them in the beginning. Also, notice that it uh, in one of the scenes it has like a list of a bunch of stuff, and at the bottom it says "Signed Richard M. Nixon." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which I was surprised nothing ever transpired from that. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, wait, this is 1975. This is like he's still. The- or no, might have been he's Ryan not. He he's resigned, not, but yeah. he's not far removed no. from being the president. No, of course not. I think um, just recently pardoned. Actually, I didn't mention the Gregorian chant that they do, which I should look it up. Uh, give me a sec here. Okay. While Jason's looking this up, I mean, I think we can all agree that our first exposure to Eric Idle was likely the the classic film, uh, an Alan Smithy film, Burn Hollywood Burn. I'm assuming that's where Jason first recognized Eric Idle. Of course, yeah. No, uh, no actually, I, I might have been like, what? he was in some movie where he played a nun. Was Nuns it? on the Run? It might have been Nuns on the Run. With um, Robbie uh, Coltrane? Maybe. That's right, right? <laughs> no, no, no. I remember what movie I remember first remember Eric Idle from. It was Splitting Airs. Do you remember that movie? No, it's a comedy. It's about a guy, the, the two people that are trying to inherit a fortune, I think. Uh, so yeah, so the the I want to talk about the the chant. We see Neil Innes dressed in a uh, robe uh, with a bunch of monks, and they're singing a, a chant. And I guess it's a traditional chant that just means uh, "Merciful Lord Jesus, grant them rest." Because he's they singing P A A Jesu Domine and then they slap themselves with the board because that was you know the monks they love to self-flagellate. Had to get that in there. 
That's a fun part. I so like flatulate sounds like uh, farting. <laughs> I'm surprised in that scene we didn't get a, a scene of uh, Daniel Craig being told to kill Queen Elizabeth. That's true. Uh, God was great. Uh, God showing up as animated Terry yeah. Gilliam oh, style. Yeah, we got to talk about the animation. Graham Chapman, of course, playing God. Talk about the animation, Jason. Yeah, the animation it's... is very similar to the show. Uh, Graham Chapman, not Graham Chapman, Terry Gilliam, who did the animation, would use like cutouts of magazines and paintings and things and, and do like these stop motion animations of these things. It, it's, it's an entirely unique style to him, I would say. It's I don't know of anybody I, else that really does it. I don't think anybody was doing it at the time. Yeah, and, and nobody really has done it since because it's so strongly associated, I imagine, with him. Him. Yeah, I think if anybody did it, yeah, I think if anybody did it now, it's like, and outside of Terry Gilliam, I yeah. think people be like, "Why are you aping Monty Python?" Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. very much his, but yeah, it's really good. That and the between sixteen and nineteen and a half was the yeah, <laughs> were it, the two it, scenes I was like, "We have so little to do: bathing, dressing, undressing, making fun underwear." <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, we got that. Animator suffered a fatal heart attack. That was oh. Fun. Yeah, in the middle of when they're getting attacked, yeah, they, they, they get chased by the monster in the cave. Again, another castle. Uh, another huge filmmaking thing that they just like totally piss on is yeah. like, in the middle of this scene. It definitely budget reasons. Yeah, well, I they, mean, it's an animated monster that's they, chasing an animated versions of them through the caves, and then it's like, and then the animator died, and so the monster dies. And you see this animator go <laughs> like and fall back. It's just Terry Gilliam who just keels over. Yeah. Oh, I, I I always forget this, but I, when Lancelot goes across the bridge, I always try to remember what the fuck happened to Lancelot. We get a very brief scene of him being splayed across a car and cuffed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's the first one to get arrested uh, for the murder of historical man. And, of course, at the end, the French knights on the island, again, taunting them at that castle, and they dump shit all over them. Uh, and then we have our army, and we have the police show up, and then we have the movie is finished. I, I uh, One other thing I wanted to mention is I like the detail. Did you say his name was Benavir? Uh, Bedivere, Sir okay. Bedivere. I like the detail of like anytime he's talking, he's got this thing over his face, and yes. it's like essentially a gate. Like yeah. there's, oh, it's basically a big opening. Yes. And but every time he talks to someone, he lifts it up lifts as it if up, you yeah. wouldn't hear him. And yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. So what's interesting? Uh, an interesting fact about this movie, since I'm kind of done with the plot of it itself. I, in fact, I'm going to mention is that most of this movie, most of the castles that you see in this movie, are one castle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had approached the Scottish Historical Board or whatever it was that managed all the like public castles in Scotland about filming there, and they thought that they were going to get it, but at the last minute they were denied permission to use any of the castles because they were afraid of the damage they might do. So they got in contact with this person that ran what I believe is called Dune Castle, and pretty much every interior uh, you see in the movie is at Dune Castle and many of the exteriors. There are a few other ones they do shoot, and especially that one at the end that's on the island, that's a different castle, but... Most of the castles in this movie are one castle. I was going to say, I would assume they had tougher. Uh, they had a tougher time finding places to shoot for their next film. Yeah, a little harder. They probably <laughs> had to go to Tunisia or something, I believe. But we'll talk about that when we get to it. Yeah. Um, Just based on subject matter alone. Yeah. So what do you got? Oh, no, I don't have anything else. Is that what you were... That's that, what I wanted to say. I just okay. the, the, the castle uh, was a, a thing. Well, Jason, um, I, I mean, it won't surprise you. There's nothing at the Oscars, nothing at the BAFTAs. Boo. <laughs> Uh, comedies can't be good. No, certainly not. Uh, but this is uh, this is a movie that gets very mixed reviews at the time. Mm. 
uh, from contemporary reviews are very mixed. Vincent Canby of the New York Times was one of the more favorable ones in America. He said uh, the film had, quote, some low spots, but it had gags which were nonstop, occasionally inspired, and those should not be divulged, though it's not giving away too much to say that I particularly liked the sequence in which the knights to gain access to an enemy castle, castle come up with the idea of building a Trojan rabbit. <laughs> uh, Charles Champlin, well, that's the biggest phony I ever saw. <laughs> Put an M in your name, you're a different dude. Yeah, come on, really. Charlie. Uh, but he at the Los Angeles Times, he said, it's like Mad Comics is not certain to please every taste, but its youthful exuberance and rousing zaniness are hard not to like. As a matter of fact, the sense of fun is dangerously contagious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, somebody, uh, Penelope Gilead of The New Yorker called the film often recklessly funny and sometimes a matter of comic genius. However... There's some other people that didn't care for it as much. Variety said that the storyline was basically an excuse for set pieces, some amusing, some overdone. Mm-hmm. Gene Siskel gave the film two and a half out of four stars, uh, saying that he felt it contained about ten very funny moments and 70 minutes of silence. <laughs> <laughs> too many of the jokes took too long to set up, a trait shared by both Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. So we know where Gene Siskel stood. He says, I guess I prefer Money Python in chunks in its original television review format. So he wasn't a fan. So it's interesting. You have this side that, uh, I mean, I think Gene Siskel's a great reviewer. Um, I don't agree with everything he says. But, like, I think it's interesting that you have someone here who likes the original Monty Python series and doesn't like its kind of transition into film. Yeah. That's that's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it is a different beast for sure. Um, It's almost like they don't know how to accept it as a movie yet. It's almost like it's weird that they did the movie very close to what the show is in the sense that it doesn't have much of a plot. It's almost like critics had a hard time getting past that. Mm. And I'm not going to sit here and be like, Oh, critics don't know nothing about my favorite movies, but like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and and sometimes movies just take time to appreciate. Like that's a movie clearly that is over the years gained a, a much stronger following. Jason, during Fox News' coverage of the 2020 George Floyd protests, Mm. uh, and more specifically the reports on Seattle's Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, news anchor Martha McCallum mistook a satirical quote from Monty Python and the Holy Grail that had been posted on Reddit as being a genuine view held by a (laughs) protester. Monty Python co-founder John Cleese expressed amusement at the error in a Twitter post. I imagine, yeah. Um, And then, of course, this movie inspires spam a lot. Yep. Um, which <laughs> kind of led to them doing their reunion tour because they got sued. They got sued for royalties by the producer. And to make up the money to pay that, they did a Monty Python mostly live tour, which I did see in theaters. Um, did you Did you see that? I think I've, I don't know. I think I watched some of it on Netflix. I didn't watch it all. But yes, okay. that was lovely because um, Graham, Ch- uh, not Graham Chapman, obviously he wasn't there, but uh, Terry Jones was there for that. And he actually just passed away, I believe, last year. And they had a few uh, guest stars. I think Mike Myers showed up for a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, a man who who openly said he loves Monty Python. Oh, yeah. I huge, mean, I huge mean, influence. You can kind of see it yeah, in a lot absolutely. of his work. I mean, The Love Guru is basically a Monty Python sketch, right? <laughs> sure. Uh, Monty Python would often do these scenes where characters would just play an instrument for five minutes without a joke. Yeah, why not? <laughs> But yeah, so Spamalot uh, causes them to be in debt. So they do the reunion tour, and they make enough money. I think it, I think I read that they each pocketed around two million pounds. So they and then they pay, and they donated. I think most of it to charity. But yeah, good job. Four hundred thousand dollar budget makes five million dollars at the box office. That's a good return. That's a damn fine return. So Jason, 
Uh, I know you don't think too much of this movie, <laughs> but give us your uh, give us your wrap up. Give, give us your final thoughts on this thing. Well, th- th- this was the first Monty Python movie I ever saw. This was burned into my head uh, because I watched it so many times with my friends, and over the years I've watched it. I've watched it with commentary. I've watched it with the subtitles for those that don't like the movie, which is fantastic. If you, have, I don't know if it's on the newer Blu-rays, but on the 2001 special edition DVD, there was a subtitle track that was like lines called from like Henry the Fourth and and various other Shakespeare plays that were that were somewhat vaguely relevant to what was going on the screen, and it did it for the entire movie. It is. It was one of my favorite DVD features of all time. <laughs> well, that's not, I, I do like that about their about their DVDs and their uh, like their Blu-ray editions or whatever. They they are very much in the style of Monty Python. Yeah, they have some of that silliness built right yeah. into it, and I, I appreciate that. You know. So. So, but yeah, fantastic movie. Great. You can't go wrong with this thing. I love it. I don't know if everybody would love it nowadays, but it is a classic for a reason. It's so fucking funny. I mean, it doesn't, it didn't age as bad as I thought it was no, going to. No, it, 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 that's the thing. It, it's timeless. It's a period piece. There's nothing really contemporary in it. So, um, like, they don't spoof any night commercials or anything of the time. Well, and I don't even mean, like, um, I don't even mean, like, the references. I just mm. think, like, the... Even the humor, yeah. The humor doesn't really age poor poorly no. that much i mean there's a couple moments we pointed out but other than that exactly and it's like the show it's like it's still like 80 percent of it is still fucking as funny as it ever was yeah, it's like ace know? ventura 80 yeah, 80 percent it's that's that's a key number you just you just don't watch that scene you, just, you, just, you leave out that other 20 percent you got yourself a fun movie <laughs> uh yeah so bfi top 100 yeah it should be okay definitely 101 so you think do you, do you so you think both. Surely it's funnier than Carry Up the Kyber, but we haven't figured that out well, yet. Well, we don't know or that, Carry Jason. On Up the Kyber. We could watch that movie, and it could be the fucking bastion of comedy. It could very well be. I'm very curious to yeah. see that movie. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, but you think both should be on there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Interesting. I, I, would, I mean, shit, we could fucking dunk the English patient immediately and put this on. It wouldn't be a problem. I mean, I think if we were to dump the English patient, though, there's, there's an argument to put something different on. Yeah, but I'm not making that argument. I'm saying that Monty Python and the Holy Grail deserves that slot. Well, you know what? When we get up, when we get to carry on up the Kyber, maybe we can kick that off. Maybe. maybe. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. We'll see what happens. I'm I'm with you. This is a great movie. Um, I, like I said, I think I watched it like twice in my life before this, mm-hmm. but I remembered all the bits because nobody ever let me forget. Nope. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's great. It's quotable. It's fun. It's ridiculous. It's silly. It's clever. It's everything. It's everything you want and more. And more. But Jason... We're gonna get back to the dice rolling next week, but this, but but this week we're not rolling dice one more time because we need to do uh, do our third edition of Brit Picks. And this time, instead of going to the audience, who we all we, we deeply love, this is actually sort of an audience pick because we did have someone on Twitter um, when this film got released yeah. ask us if we were going to cover this. And our original plan, if you remember, was we were going to go to the theater. Just didn't work out. Yeah, no, it didn't happen. Didn't work out, but, but, <laughs> but that's okay. Worked out with 1917, which I just saw for a second time. It's still great. Well, we're going to talk about a Guy Ritchie film called... The Gentleman. That's right. This with is Tom Hardy? No, it is Charlie Hunnam. Charlie Hunnam, eh? Yeah. Interesting. Who was also in King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, which we will not talk about. So we're talking about uh, The Gentleman, which just came out beginning of this year, I think. So you haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. Nor have I. So it's not technically our pick. So no, like I said, somebody did ask if we were going to cover it. So it's kind of an audience pick. And that's fine. I'm happy to have an excuse to watch a Guy Ritchie movie. Yep. And it's it's been described as his return to form. So we're going to take a look and examine that. See if if he fits in with the the snatch, lock stock sort of uh, aesthetic. Yeah. uh, Not so much swept away. Yeah. (laughs) 
But uh, wouldn't it be great if like Snatch just had like Madonna complaining every once in a while on screen? <laughs> complaining to Brad Pitt, who then would respond to her in an unintelligible uh, uh, dialect. <laughs> or Slapper, which I'm, I'm assuming happens in Swept Pro- Probably could have happened, yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, so we're going to talk about The Gentleman next week as our third edition of this Brit Pick series. Uh, but Jason, until then, they can follow us on social media. They can find us on Facebook. Just search for For Screen. And Country. You can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can find old big old Jason on Twitter here. That's at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. That's right. And oftentimes he posts his uh, Monty Python inspired animation. Um, he talks yeah. about... Uh, I'm so talented. He talks about spam a lot. And not, not, the, not the musical. He just talks about spam frequently. Yeah. Well, um, it's good. Spam emails that he gets. Yeah. Nigerian princes and such. Uh, but that, yeah, so that's it. Um, I guess you can find us on all the podcatchers. You can find us on our at our home base for screeningcountry.podbean.com. So that does it, Jason. That does it for us this week. I guess the gentleman next week. All I have to say to you, gentlemen, is God save the queen. God save the screen. And for screening country, I'm Brendan and I'm Jason. And now, for something completely silly. Fuck you very much, the FCC. Fuck you very much for fining me. Five thousand bucks a fuck, so I'm really out of luck. That's more than Heidi Fleiss was charging me. So fuck you very much, the FCC. For proving that free speech just isn't free. Clear Channel's a dear channel, so Howard Stern must go. Attorney General Ashcroft doesn't like strong words and so he's charging twice as much as all the drugs for Rush Limbaugh. So fuck you all so very much. So fuck you very much, dear Mr. Bush, for heroically sitting on your tush. For Halliburton, Enron, all the companies who fail Let's send them a clear signal and stick Martha straight in jail She's an uppity rich bitch and at least she isn't male So fuck you all so very much So fuck you dickhead Mr Cheney too Fuck you and fuck everything you do Your pacemaker must be a fake, you haven't got a heart As far as I'm concerned, you're just a pasty-faced old fart And as for Condoleezza, she's an intellectual tart So fuck you all so very much So fuck you very much, the EPA For giving all Alaska's oil away It really is a bummer when I can't fill my Hummer The ozone's a no-go zone now that Arnold's here to say The nuclear winter games are going to take place in L.A. So fuck you all so very much. So what, the planet fails. Let's save the great white males. And fuck you all so very much.